You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. Introducing Meridian Experience from Retail Integration, the leading multi-channel ticketing, retail and membership system for visitor attractions. Working with visitor attractions for over 25 years, Retail Integration have developed the ultimate solution that enables some of Ireland's leading visitor attractions manage every aspect of their business, from ticketing and admissions to merchandising, food and loyalty programs in one single system. Customer experience is at the heart of what we do. Contact us today and let retail integration help you to exceed visitor expectations. We listen, we develop, we deliver. Hello and welcome to the Brown Sign Project, the podcast that gives you a priority pass to some of the most creative and visual voices within the tourist attractions industry. I'm Carlton Gadgetal. And I'm Carly Strawn. In this episode, we're delighted to bring you a conversation with Mark Lofthouse. He's the living embodiment of the phrase, the better you work, the luckier you get. Mark's determination to become a top creator is really impressive. You'll get to hear about his path into the industry and what he's learned on the way. This includes how valuable it is to listen to feedback and the importance of making connections and talking to people around you. Mark's got a really detailed vision of just how AI can benefit our working lives and how in particular it's going to help Mark continue with recreating wonder. It's a really interesting conversation. And thanks, of course, to our series sponsors, Staff Savvy and Retail Integration. Now it's time for our chat with Mark. All right, good afternoon, good evening, good morning. How are you today? I hope you're well. Welcome to the Brian Sound Project. Uh, my name's Carlton and we also have the lovely Carly. Hello, Carly. Hello, are you all right? I'm good. I'm good today. Um, it's a bit warm. It's a bit warm in Dubai, <laughs> just to let you know. Um, I'm struggling. We're not jealous or anything. It's fine. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, it's a bit warm. But let's not talk about me, about my warmness. Um, we've got a great speaker on today. Um, um, let me just introduce you. Hello, Mark. Mark, welcome to the Brown Sign Project. How are you today? Thank you very much. Hi, I'm very well, thank you. How are you both? Yeah, doing good, doing good. We're really excited to kind of learn a lot about you and what you what you've got to offer. Um, it's going to be really exciting today. So, the first question I'd like to ask you is a bit about you. Tell us, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. So, I am Matt Loftos, and I am the creative director of Neon School, and we're a creative agency specialising in marketing solutions, primarily for smaller um, regional theme parks, right through to heritage sites and um, leisure facilities. So, I kind of got many hats to what I do, um, and I know we, we've kind of spoke about this in the past, but I've got many sort of aspects of the different type of work that I do, from creative direction of screen parks and skirmazes, right through to um, managing and coming up with brand content for new rides and new attractions, um, right through to operations management as well. So I've kind of covered so many different roles um, with uh, the types of jobs that I've done in the past. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades, I'd like to say. The best kind of jack of all trades by the sound of it. That's <laughs> fantastic. Um, so give us a bit of your background. What's your kind of, what you do today in terms of, what does your day-to-day look like? So... It varies vastly, really. I 
a lot of time I'll, I'll wake up as early as possible and get straight to the office and see some exciting emails that have come in. But um, every day is so different. I can be um, on site one day having a look around a venue to try and consult with them about what to do in that certain venue. So could that be events or entertainment or could it even just be pop up bars and restaurants? right through to amazing emails that I get now as a huge ride geek, which is, can you help us brand this new ride that is coming out? This is the concept behind it. No two days are ever the same. And that is why I love what I do. It's just so varied in the work. Um, keeps you on your toes and you don't really get time to rest. But that, we all love that, don't we? We all love keeping busy, especially something that we love doing. Um, so yeah, every day is completely different from what I do. The, the waking up early part definitely put me off, but... Uh... <laughs> Maybe not Carlton so much. He's definitely more of an early bed. I'm an evening person. Um, I'm yeah. more, I'm, I would say I'm more evening as well. I like my bed. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely I'm, I'm a morning person. I can't I can't do nights out or anything anymore. I'm quite happy to be in bed at nine. Oh no no no! <laughs> <laughs> I am more productive at night than in the day. So, so that's amazing. It's kind of like you do like rebranding and stuff. Um, and we're talking about bed, which is great. But I want to find out a little bit more about your why. Like, why do you do what you do? What kind of motivates you to really just kind of um, do do the best work? So, do you know what? I've, got, I've been asked this quite a lot in the past. And the reason I do what I do is because I absolutely love the themed attraction industry and location-based entertainment industry. Since being a child, I've I've gone to theme parks. I've got such fond memories of going, especially with my dad used to take me to everywhere. I think in all honesty, I was just an excuse for him to go to theme parks. Um, <laughs> but I've got such amazing memories of going to theme parks and the joy it used to give me and the feeling of escapism as, as an adult that I get from going to themed attractions. And the reason I, I do what I do is because I want to create that feeling for other people. I want I want to create and work on designs or work on attraction concepts that generate that same response I had when I was a child and still get now, which is that sense of wonder, the sense of enjoyment, the sense of just stepping out of your ordinary life into some fictitious environment. Um, that's the main reason I do it. I just want to generate the same feelings that I get going to other attractions, which is just I turn into a child. I still turn into a child when I go to them because I just there's nothing better than escaping into these amazing, wondrous worlds. I do think as well. I was I was thinking this the other day about I went to Meow Wolf recently in Santa Fe, which was if you to everyone listening, if you haven't been to any Meow Wolf anything, go d- d- drop whatever you're doing, pause this podcast, get on a plane, go. Or if it's around the corner, get on a bus, get in your car, whatever. It's amazing. But actually, when I boiled it down to like, what is the thing that I really loved about being in that environment is that you get to like do the things that you don't really normally do as an adult, right? So like you can open the fridge and walk through the fridge (laughs) and there's a slide and you can go down the slide. And I think how many times as an adult do you think, oh, I'm not allowed to do those things anymore. I'm not allowed to run around and be loud. And the stuff that you really do take for granted, I think, as a kid, I think there's a lot of freedom in that behaving like a child, which you probably haven't done for however many years and and sort of feeling like it's an appropriate place to behave that way. Definitely. I think for for me as well, it's the fact that we, we go to work, we come home, we go to work, we come home. And I think we get so stuck into a rhythm. And I think no matter what you do, you do get into a rhythm of life, As especially when you become an adult, you go to work, you pay bills, um, you pay a lot of taxes. Um, but I think 
having that place to just go and escape from that. You, When you're at a theme park, you don't think, oh, I've got that bill coming out tomorrow or I have to pay for this, I have to pay for that now. You just enjoy the moment that you're in. And I think it's so key to actually ground us that a lot of the time we do get stuck into a rhythm where we're, we're just living for living's sake and actually going doing some sort of these experiences whether that is a theme park or an immersive theater piece or an art installation like you just mentioned with meow wolf i think it's so important to do these things and go and experience them because you're out of what you're used to it takes you on a complete new journey and actually you don't realize at the time how much that's going to affect your future in the next couple of weeks sometimes that it can have a new spark especially with me as a as a creative I can go to attractions and I might have this cloud over me where I can't quite get over an idea or quite work out how to do it. I'll go and experience something and then I'll come away and it's gone. I know what I want to do. I know the new aim because it's took me out of the environment that I'm used to. Um, and that that is why I do it. I just think it's to be able to generate that response with people that I'm so grateful that other creatives do for me is is the main reason that I do it. That's brilliant. Um, and so how did you get a start in in doing these things? Because that's, it seems so, such an unusual thing to suddenly be doing. So where did you start your career? What what kind of got you into that? So like I said, I've always, I've always kind of been a fan, even when I was a child, I was a fan of theme parks. I was a fan of going to the theatre. I was a fan of anything sort of live entertainment. And I kind of said at a young age, and I know a lot of people won't believe me, but it's true. I, I was going to do it one day. I was going to be a roller coaster designer. I was going to be a theme park designer. And all my family were like, yeah, sure, Mark, rolling their eyes. Um, but I was like, I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm dedicated to do that. And whenever we we used to do the, um, where people used to come in to school and say, oh, what is it? You, what a career advisor she used to say, what is it you're going to do? Expecting me to say, I don't know, doctor or whatever that is. I was like, oh, I'm going to design attractions. I'm going to design theme parks. And they were like, hmm, sure. Yeah, well, maybe think about this. <laughs> and it gave me a fire, to be honest. So um, that's really... I got told I couldn't do it, I did it. <laughs> that's really funny. I think we talk quite a lot about, like, careers advice that you get, especially especially the, the younger end of that career advice. Yeah. Because most of the time you're getting it from people who have quite limited career experience themselves. You know, they've been a teacher their whole lives. They have no idea what it takes to be, you know, anything else. You know, and I think you do sort of end up having conversations about, you know, you're you're a firefighter or you're a postal worker or you're a teacher or, you know, it's like these little boxes that you can get into. I love the fact that you were like, I'm going to do something different. Absolutely. But most of my class were, oh, we're going to be footballers. Now that was never going to happen for me. I'm going to tell you that flat out right now. I'm the least sporty person you've ever met. Um, so yeah, that gave, that gave me the fire. And then when I was 16, I became, um, I saw an opening advertisement for a scare actor, at a Halloween experience in Liverpool uh, with a company called Atmosphere Scare Entertainment. And I thought, I'm going to go for it. Um, why not? I've never had any performance background before. I was like, I can do that. It might be my way into doing something. So I just went for it. I ended up getting a part and I was a, <laughs> I'm laughing now because it's quite embarrassing, but I was, um, I was playing a ghost that was under a sheet on the floor. I'm not joking about that. That's my <laughs> glamorous start. I've got some, <laughs> I've got some beautiful photos I can share with that as well. Um, but from that point onwards, so I started out as a performer and 
I slowly worked my way up with that company. So by the time I was 18 or 19, I was assisting in the sort of creative direction of the scare mazes and screen parks. Um, I'm not just talking sort of one or two. At that time, um, we were creating, say, upwards of three, four different screen parks and and forms of entertainment. Some of them were um, overseas. One of them was in Athens. One of them was in Lisbon. Um, so I was helping the creative director, Jason, at the time, kind of come up with ideas and helping him with sort of how to execute them and managing the creative process with him. Um, and I, I did that for, for many years until um, 2016. And then I wanted to take a little bit of a step aside from it. So as you can imagine, it was all horror 365. We're talking Christmas horror, Easter horror, Halloween horror, summer horror, and we were creating purposeful negative entertainment. Obviously, that's that's the point. It's meant to be a negative experience. But I kind of saw that it was starting to affect me and it was starting to become negative towards me. And I, I felt a bit, everything was kind of negative with me because that's that's the world I was in, right? Um, so I was like, I'm gonna gonna change. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to change something up and try and get more experience elsewhere. So I went to work at Nosley Safari Park, which is just around the corner from where I live. And I was their event manager for two and a half years. So I went from horror, horror, horror through to family entertainment. I was trying um, to think animals. what I was trying to think what might be on the other end of the scale from that three six five horror. And yeah, I think you think you nailed it. Yeah, I couldn't have got further away, I don't think. Um so yeah, I moved away. I, I ended up moving doing that, which was amazing. It gave me so many sort of pointers on family entertainment, on on how to deliver charitable animal donation-led events. I got such a wealth of experience there. Um, and then, again, theme park geek here, an opportunity arose to um, move down to Dreamland Margate uh, for the season in 2019. So I went down there as the um, experience manager. So overall of the uh, guest experience, that was overseeing events that were on site, that was admissions, um, it was guest liaison, back of house, front of house, all of that kind of thing. And I was managing a really big team down there and it was amazing. It was during the summer. I used to spend so much time on the beach walking home. There was so many great events there. Um, I absolutely loved working there and I don't know if anybody's been, but it's such a special place. And if you visit there, you'll know exactly what I mean, but it's so hard to explain. It's really quirky, it's really different. It really prides itself on sort of a vintage heritage. And it was amazing being part of that. It was fantastic. Um, and then I was the project director of the big Halloween. So <laughs> horror got me back. So I was the project director of um, the Halloween experience that we did where I worked with Hammer Films on one of their mazes and I created the skirmaze for them, which was incredible because I'm, I'm a horror fan as well. So I left there in 2019 and then we all know what happened in 2020 that we don't need to mention. Um, so obviously... I know you've had people speaking before about how entertainment kind of just ceased at that point. And I know we, we spoke about this earlier as well. Like it was so difficult during that time. Um, so what did I do? Mark, coming from an entertainment background, thought he'd be able to manage a manufacturing business. So um, completely took a sidestep. I went man I went managing a manufacturing business of um, chemical liquid products. So we were making hand gel during the pandemic so you can imagine how um busy of an environment that was so i was kind of uh, working with the owner of the company to manage that business which was amazing and we've become really good friends as well me and the owner which which is just great and then i've since then i've 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 worked with um, the business creative who are an amazing creative agency who create entertainment concepts but are very quirky and different entertainment concepts 
And I worked with all of them last year, which was just brilliant. We got to work with Drayton Manor and Chester Zoo, um, coming up with the creative concepts. And I was kind of project managing the elements for them during that and working with them with sales. So running through the back of all of this, um, I've, I've been um, a graphic designer again since, since 16. So I started a marketing agency, which was Neon School, that like I mentioned before. Um, and we create marketing solutions primarily for smaller or regional parks that don't necessarily have the budget to go to big agencies. Uh, we're kind of filling that gap for them. So the video content, photo content, logo design, branding, et cetera. Um, and that's been running since I was 16 up until now as well. So I've kind of got so many plates spinning None of them have fell just yet, but you could tell with a hesitant tone in my voice. <laughs> I hope that's it doesn't. Fun. That's um, really so yeah, awesome, I've, though. I think yeah, it's a very wide like, range. Like having that skill that I think I think a lot of people are worried sometimes about, oh, I'll get kind of typecast, you know, like I'll do a horror job and then I'll be stuck doing scare mazes or I'll be stuck doing whatever it is that, that they're in. But I think having that, I don't know, call it like a side hustle, call it kind of what you want. Um, of just, I've got something that is always there in the background that I can kind of fall back on. I'm, I know that I'm good at it. I know that it delivers to the kind of clients that I like working with and sort of then thinking, you know what, like when I'm, when I don't want to be doing scare work or I don't want to be doing finance or marketing or whatever it is that people feel like they're stuck in to sort of just just be comfortable of of going back to something that they know is there and that they they're quite confident in. I think it's a really nice nice position to be in. Yeah, and you know, I want to say that is the reason it is still there existing now. Originally, it was just my backup. So when because I was freelance for many 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 years doing the jobs that I've just mentioned, I needed something there just in case. And there was always something in the back of my brain saying, "Have a backup plan that is just there, ready to go." But it kind of expanded since that. So actually now, I'd say it's probably 60-40. So 40% of my work is that branding element of it. And, and the, the marketing agency, the rest of it is going into creative development and uh, concept designs. Um, but it's a massive recommendation to anyone that actually don't. Yeah, it's great to focus on a skill that you have, focus on where you want to get. But do not hesitate in thinking of a backup and I think it's just one thing that I always recommend to people, just have something there in the background that you can just pull up when you need it. Because I think, especially the pandemic taught us all a lot, that actually when that goes, your main uh, your main source of, source of income, let's face it, what do you do? And a lot of us, especially business directors, really struggled through the pandemic because the support wasn't exactly there. And I think if we all had those kind of backup things just ready to go, it's just worth having in the back pocket, just, just in case. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the Southbank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall, with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash brown sign project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button. 
You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. I want to kind of touch up on something that you haven't really mentioned too much about, and it's kind of school. So, like, what do you what do you learn in school that has prepared you for your career? So, I'm going to be blatantly honest now with school, and I shouldn't really do this, and I'm not glamorizing it whatsoever. But I actually did really bad in my GCSEs, and I'm quite open about talking about it. I think. There's so, so much pressure on young people nowadays to do really well in their exams. And I'm not saying don't put effort into your exams. You should do, you should do it just to better yourself and try to prepare yourself. But I didn't do the best in my GCSEs. And I think it is important to actually say that what got me through a lot of it was the perseverance to get to where I am. I knew what I wanted to do and I gained as much experience as I possibly could to get to that point. In hindsight, I wish I would have done better. I wish I would have got my head stuck down and I kind of worked better. But in in all honesty, and I I wouldn't lie to anyone to say that I did really well in my GCSEs, GCSEs because I didn't. Saying that, what I did do well on was two subjects, graphic design and art. So out of all of the the very sort of curriculum-led ones, I didn't do very well on at all. But actually the two artistic ones, I did quite well on. And I think that was quite telling that, I was inevitably going to go into the creative field. And I think, I don't know whether I went into that field because I did well on those and thought I should do, or actually it was just showing that I'm not very academic in some respects, but actually I'm very creative in others. But yeah, I think it's so important to actually not put so much pressure on youngsters. They're going through a lot anyway. They're going through a lot of sort of changes in their life. And then we're putting so much pressure on them to do well, to go to university, to do this, that and the other. And I I didn't get enough GCSEs and um, t- to get into university at the time. Following my GCSEs at school, I went into college and I did a media production degree um, for two years, which I, I did quite well on that as well because again it was very creative. It was it was coming up with storyboarding, it was filming, it was photo editing, it was everything that I knew what to do. Um, but I couldn't get into university, and I wish I could have. I wish I could have done a marketing degree or something like that. But at that time, what I just said to myself was go and get the experience, get your foot in the door somehow and start to get that experience there. And part of me wanted to test out if it was possible without a degree because everyone that I knew around me who was really successful at a young age in the theme attraction industry had these degrees and had this wealth of experience that they'd already got. And I didn't. And I was trying to fight to find out where I was and how I could get there. And the way to do it for me was to get my foot in the door and get experience. And that's why as a performer at that age, it kind of snowballed, really. I, I was so focused on what I wanted. I had the blinders on. I knew what the end goal was. It was just a case of getting there. It's not been straightforward. It's not been easy whatsoever. But, yeah, that that's kind of school-wise. I, um, I wasn't the best, I'll be honest. That's, that's really – I mean, you, you're absolutely – you know, we we talk about this all the time about, you know, it, it isn't indicative of where you will end up is, you know, where you start. And I think yeah. we do put too much pressure on – all ages of people, I think, to to be more qualified, to to have a certificate, to have a piece of paper that that says whatever it is that you think you need at that point. But I, you did just make me think of something, and I, it's been a bit of a meme now, and I'm I might be aging you, so apologies if you're in a slightly different. Go for age it. To Go me. for it. <laughs> and and Carl, Carlton's a little bit older, but we always say he's a vampire because he looks oh, wow. way younger. But do, <laughs> did you have at school a red? Certificate, um, what was it called? The folder of achievement, or I'm trying to yeah. think. Of what it... uh, I know yeah, exactly. 
yeah, we did. Um, I can't, it was like, a, was this like is a brown your leather folder. Book. Yeah. yeah. And um, like... NRA, NRA, so National Record of Achievement. Yes. yes. Yeah, that is the yes, one. And I'm like now thinking of all, all the kids of a certain age who have now grown up thinking, God, I never got to get that out in an interview, right? Like, I've, I've got a really funny story about that. I went round to my dad's, he's just moved house. I think you know where this is heading. I went around to my dad's house. He just moved house. He had boxes everywhere. And then he pulled the box out and it had loads of um, loads of letters and things like that in it. And I was like, why have you put it in that folder? And it was that achievement folder. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I thought that I got buried years ago. I was like, I've not looked at that since I left school. That says a lot about that document. <laughs> Yeah, so any, anyone who's of a younger age, just go and look up the National Record of Achievement going and acquaint <laughs> yourself with that because that was pushed on all of us of a certain yeah. a certain generation <laughs> being told that, you know, you wouldn't get a job unless you presented this at a... Um, so I think we can all agree maybe that's not the... Uh, that's not the be-all and end-all. No. Brilliant. Um, cool. So in terms of... You've obviously had loads of different experience in, in, in loads of different places. What do you think in terms of people that you see kind of succeeding in the industry? What do you think are the the most important qualities of those people? Like if it's not having a degree or having a diploma or a certificate or qualifications, like what is it that is important for success in this industry? I think there's the sort of the three things that I'd look at. Definitely the first one is perseverance. And I think I wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't have that push to do it. Let's face it, I'm not going to hide the fact that it is a competitive industry. There's so many new budding creatives that are wanting to get into this field. And how do you get there? A lot of people get really disheartened if somebody gets a job over them. Don't be. You've got to persevere to get there. We, you, you've you got to face these hurdles and go over them. So I definitely think the, the kind of first thing that I think people are successful with is the ones who persevere through it, through the hardest times. You've, you've got to get over that and kind of carry on with it. Um I also think flexibility, you've got to be flexible in this, especially creatives. Um, I, I've talked about this um, with a couple of people and so many creatives, I am one of them or used to be rather, I used to be so protective over my creativity that it used to really hinder what I was creating. So I used to be no, not taking any feedback on board or I'd think I know better than you. I'm the creative designer and this, that, and the other. And it's the worst case scenario you can ever be in because it never gets you anywhere. You just rub people up the wrong way. Um, you've got to be flexible with it. You've got to kind of keep your creativity aside from you. It's so easy to take it on board. You can take it on personally and you can't do that at all because otherwise it will start to have a really negative impact on your mental health. You've got to kind of keep it separate. And the last one, which kind of feeds into that, is you've got to have good in interpersonal skills. You've got to be able to talk to other people. And I think it's it's so key. I, I met some amazing creatives that are that don't like to communicate with other people, but it's so key actually that you've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to talk to other people um, because you have to share your creativity to get the best out of it. Because otherwise we get so insular in our heads and we think that what we're doing is the best thing that we've ever created. And actually it might not be at all and you need to share that with other people to get the feedback to understand if if what you are creating is actually the best i think interpersonal skills are so so important a lot of the time you'll be dealing with so many different um departments within a company as well that you you've got to be able to talk to each of them to kind of communicate back and forward especially as, as an event manager at nosley for example 
I used to have to deal with the the head of animal division. It was the head of visitor experience. It was the head of food and beverage. It was the head of security and head of rides. Whenever I did an event, everyone had to be communicated with. Everyone had to be brought around the table to discuss where we were going. Now, if I wasn't any good at sort of interpersonal or chatting with people, a lot of time it annoys people because I talk too much. Um, but if I wasn't really good at that, it, it had have ended in disaster with the first event that I did. You've you've got to have that communication skill about you um, to just be able to interact with other people as, as much as you can. That's really interesting as well, because I think you're right. Like when I first got into the industry, I really I was looking for kind of creative roles like, you know, costume design and, and, and stuff. And, and yeah. I, I was in a group of people who were you know, makeup um, expert or whatever, you know, we were, we're kind of in that that space. And when you're young and you're in a creative space, it is really easy to feel like you are really breaking the mould here. Like your ideas are the greatest idea and no one's ever had anything like it. And I think it can bring you down to earth quite quickly <laughs> when you suddenly realise, oh, actually, there's been people doing this for 20, 30, 40 years in the industry. And you know what? They if it if it hasn't worked up till now it's probably not that new <laughs> like you sort of need to take your your um inspiration from like what's gone before because that's the stuff that works and put a twist on it but but yeah be a little bit more humble about it I think that's difficult to it's a tough lesson <laughs> at the beginning yeah and and you know what this all comes from me failing badly in the past at these certain things so I think especially when I first started to get a bit more um, my feet under the table in attraction design, I, I was still very young at the time. I'm quite naive and I'll a bit like now. And I think I rub people up the wrong way with the way I went forward with it. We'd have these creative meetings where I'd pitch an idea. And if somebody said, I don't really think that's going to work with our audience, I'd be like, yes, it will. <laughs> As though I knew better than them who run the business. And I, I admit I went through that phase because actually it took some of the clients to come back to me and go, no, you are working for us. We we are leading your creativity, but you're honing that creativity for us. It took a couple of very harsh conversations that I had with people to actually put that into context for me, to actually say, do you know what? You're right. I need to kind of be a bit more humble with it. As you mentioned, I just need to be a bit more grounded and realize that actually people's influence is so important to anything going forward because otherwise you end up creating the experience for yourself and not for the end user or the client that you're working with. Um, so it's so important to kind of take a, take that back step and listen to, listen to people and be flexible with your ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you basically you took the words right my, out of my mouth, really. You know, you just have to make sure you don't take it personally. Um because a lot of people just do and you're working for somebody else you're here to support them with their vision but with your expertise so the great message mark thank you so much for that um i'm going to get my crystal ball out if that's okay now um i've got a question to ask you about the future um and regarding your job um and the industry kind of you're working in what do you see in the next five to 10 years, how do you think that's going to evolve? And also, how do you think technology is going to play a part in that as well? So this is going to go down like a lead balloon, and I know it is, and I think everybody knows what I'm going to say, but AI is on the rise and it's not going to go away, is it? So artificial intelligence is going to become a key aspect of anything that we are doing. And I think there's obviously more a moral compass to it, isn't there? I understand why there's a lot of frustration, especially with artists, I've seen it myself where a couple of uh, friends of mine, their art has been used in AI. I've seen it firsthand. 
but it's not going to go away, is it? And I think I've seen quite a few um, people at the moment, especially creatives who have moved away from what they're doing. So they've, they've completely changed direction in terms of their business because they've been threatened by AI. I don't think that's right. I think you need to use it. I think we need to have a look at how we can build it into our normal workflows. And I think we need to start utilizing it as it is. I think especially with what I do, obviously we we well know with, with things like mid journey and whatnot, that the graphic side of it and visual side of it, we understand where that is. We've all seen it firsthand, but with chat GPT getting better now, I think a lot of the, um, copywriting side of marketing. I think a lot of the script writing element that is all going to start getting, um, it's going to give access to people who have not been able to get that before. So I know um, a couple of people who who I'm very good friends with who who are dyslexic. Um, and they've said that actually it's really helping them in terms of being able to structure sentences. And what they're actually doing is using AI in a really beneficial way to learn from it and try to guide them with it. And I think as much as there is obviously really negative sides to AI, it's not going away and actually is starting to help people in a certain way as well. And I think if we all started to hone it in the way that other people are using it in the way in the respects that I just said, I think it'll be a better place for us to work. And I do genuinely think it could vastly improve our industry as well. Um, I've been using it quite a lot, especially with with some of the clients that I work with, looking at um, copy or actually looking at kind of like scene ideas to to convey more with them what they're trying to achieve. So they feedback words to me and say, I want this, 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 and this. And I put it in there and go, is this what you want? And I tailor that for them then. And it's, it's saving me three, four, five hours sometimes of work. So I can see the benefits with using it. I think one thing it can't do, and I don't think it's ever going to be able to do, is add emotion to anything and i think that's where we all have the upper hand as creatives i think we can utilize it in a skill but i don't think it's going to take over the jobs like a lot of people are saying i think we are masters at being able to manipulate emotions for a certain experience we know that by a guest walking in a room full of candy floss we we want the feeling that transports them back to being a child at a fun fair with the smells and whatnot AI is not going to be able to connect the emotion that you feel with that scene being developed. So I think we've got a really strong position where as creatives, we can actually start to guide it as well and use it to our advantage. So I definitely think within five to 10 years, that side of it, the AI side of it is going to become a bit more prevalent as well as sort of um, a lot more digital content, a lot more digital interactions. Um, I've noticed quite a lot of the clients that I deal with saying that they want everything to become interactive. We all know that immersive and interactive are the two buzzwords at the moment that everybody seems to be using. But I think interactions are so key to try and bring us in the narrative of an experience. If you're able to interact, I know you mentioned Meow Wolf, for example, where you you open a door and then you go into that scene. The interaction with you opening the door puts you in that environment instantly. Those little tiny connections with you interacting with an experience just heighten it exponentially. And I think there's going to be a lot more interactive um, experiences happening, whether that is an art installation or immersive theatre or even ride technology. I think interaction is definitely a way that we're going to improve over the next five to ten years. Really interesting, really interesting. I think um, you you said something about how AI won't um, do take emotions. Um, I just kind of want to add on to that. I think it's be able to 
write the emotion, but it will not be able to deliver that emotion, which is an interesting point um, for, for the future. So let, let's see what happens. And also another point that you mentioned about people who've got dyslexia, um, it's, it's literally a game changer for them because they've now got a tool that they can just write some words and it's now creating something that it's always in their mind, but now it's actually written. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, especially at the moment, there's, there's obviously a huge promotion to anti-AI. We've, we've all seen the campaigns online, but if you look at the bigger picture to the scenario, actually there are pros and cons and there's no denying it. Um, and I think, especially with, 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 like I said, my friends who are using it for that exact reason, it's actually, it's giving them a bit of a confidence boost as well. So it isn't just a case of it's helping them write. They're getting a boost from it. It's actually making them feel better by doing it. And actually, when I look at it, then I think, is it as negative? Obviously, there are, there are side effects, but I think there is definitely positive sides to it. And I just think we need to we need to kind of curate it to work for us as opposed to being threatened by it, um, taking our jobs, et cetera. I think we kind of need to hone the skills on how to use it to our advantages. I think as well, like my kind of thought process about this is that it's another industrial revolution, that what we're seeing at the moment is, you know, when when people used to, I don't know, let's take it, you know, hand spin wool, for example, you know, people still do. There's still there's still people out there who hand spin wool. And and but we said, OK, well, actually, do you know what? We're going to do that in factories. I'm pretty sure people were standing around having this exact conversation and saying, well, you know, what am I going to do? I, I've always spun wool. Well, actually, if we do this in a factory and we automate it is you'd go on and you do something else because that's the nature of being a human being. Right. And yeah, we all like to do the creative work. And, and, and of course, I think there are always jobs that only a human can do. But I also think we really tie our sort of ability to earn to being busy. And actually, that's the thing we need to break is, you know, if you can do work that used to take you five days in three days, well, we can still be charging five days worth of money for it. And people can just work less. And I think that, you know, we, we the, the problem with these new tools isn't the fact that, stuff takes less time it's that people think oh it takes less time so I'm going to pay less for it and that was really dangerous and you know when we talk about the you know the current writer's strike in in the US is that we don't want writers being replaced by AI but if it means you can write more and then work less but still get the same wage that's that's revolutionary I think that you know that could be where we're we're aiming for that we can do things better we can we can be better at our jobs we can do more stuff and that, that makes us you know we can spend more time doing the fun stuff which is hopeful <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think you're 100 percent right we history has shown that technological advancements scare us as a population and i think history has shown that repeatedly over and over and over again and this is the next step in that and i think we you're absolutely right I think the moment it does start to physically take jobs and we see a huge impact on the economy with that, that's kind of a, a reason to actually reassess what we're planning on doing. But I think in this in this stage, because it is so early, we've got such an advantage to to try to curate so it doesn't happen. And I think we were in a really advantageous stage to, to do that now. And I think it just takes 
that extra push to say, no, we're not going to let it take our jobs, but we can utilize it to actually make our jobs more effective. And I think we're in such a great position to do that at the moment. Yeah, let's hope that's the uh, direction of travel, definitely. Um, so we have one last question for you. So I feel like we could we could definitely talk forever. Um, <laughs> and actually, you said earlier, you know, like people get sick of you talking. And that's why we have a podcast, right? Like, <laughs> I of get the same thing. Now I, now I get to do it and it's legitimate, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so what, you know, you've obviously done loads of different jobs um, across the industry. What would your top kind of three tips be for actually working in the industry itself? So in terms of like what keeps you sane, what do you what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like what would your top three tips be for I'm in the industry and I'm going to make this work for me? I think the the first one I'll say is enjoy it. We're privileged to be working, doing what we're doing. And I think never, ever, ever let you forget yourself by doing that. And I think so many people I I kind of work with in the past have gone, oh, I have to go and do this again and and whatnot. I'm like, you you're designing a roller coaster for a theme park. How can that become so laborious for you to do? You're doing something incredible that so many people are going to love. How can you be so upset by that? You've got to love what you do. And I think just enjoy every aspect of being, you're in a very privileged position by doing what you're doing and never forget that you could be doing anything else but that. So so it's so um, important to do that. I think one of the one of the key recommendations that I've got as well is about feedback and seeking feedback. So I think to be successful and carry on doing what you're doing, you need to get feedback from people. And I recently did a talk at um, Skircon regarding an element of this. And as we mentioned before, as creatives, we are so, so um, insular and we want to protect our creative ideas. Um, but seek feedback about what you're doing with other industry experts. If that means you've got to sign a non-disclosure agreement and send that out, go for it. Just protect your ideas. Uh, you can get examples of those online there's some really good links that you can get some free examples but i think you've got to get that feedback off everybody you've you've got to obtain feedback to be able to improve yourself otherwise you end up creating an experience that is just for you and not for the end user and your audience and at the end of the day we're creating these concepts for the end user we're creating them for the people who are going to enjoy them we're not getting paid to do them just because we want to design them the way that we do. And it's so, so important to actually keep that in mind throughout the whole process. Um, The last thing that I recommend is network as much as you possibly can. And I can't say it enough. Um, LinkedIn is a genuine godsend for um, for the themed attraction industry for for connecting. I think it's actually how we all connected, to be fair. Yeah, um, sorry. yeah. And it's so important. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, it's the new Facebook, it's this, that, and the other. But it's the Facebook and putting you in the in the position to talk to the people that you could never, ever get a meeting with otherwise. Uh, so many people I, uh, I've i kind of spoken to, especially younger people, are so scared about clicking that send button. They'll, they'll write a message and they won't send anyone. What is the worst that can happen? Someone doesn't reply. It's not the end of the world, is it? It's so important to network as much as possible. I have got no qualms about sending someone a message who I want to contact or want to be in touch with. You're not going to lose sleep by somebody not responding, are you? So I think try to network, try to search out new companies, try to search um, new people that you want to contact with and just send them messages and just say, please, can we jump on a chat? A lot of people have been more than happy to spend 
10 or 15 minutes on a call, they'll be more than happy just to just to have a chat with you and just so you can find out a little bit more about how they work and what they do. But yeah, network as much as possible. It's, it's kind of my top recommendation, really. There's some great top recommendations. Um, thank you so much for that. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, on the podcast um, you've just shared so much insights especially coming from um, when you're 16 years old and kind of not going too deep into education but actually going out there getting that experience in many different areas and even working in, in one sector that you've never ever done before uh, and then going back into the entertainment it, it's fantastic to hear that so keep it up definitely um, for our listeners how can they get in contact with you? Um, what's the best way digitally they can reach you? So we have a LinkedIn page. Our website is currently getting redeveloped and it will be for the next couple of months. We've got a lot of information to put on there. Um, but they can email me at mark at neonskull.co.uk or they can find me on LinkedIn. I think that's probably the best contact. So I'm Mark Lofthaus on LinkedIn. Um, and that's probably the best way to come and contact me. And we can, we can have a discussion about that or just jump on a call with me and let's have a chat. Let's have a virtual coffee and find out what we both do and, and um, have a bit of a networking session. Again, going back to networking, but it's so important. That's brilliant. And I, I am going to suggest when this episode goes out, I'd like to see the pictures of you as a ghost in a sheet. <laughs> That's oh, what no, I'm here for, Mark. That's what everyone... Please don't make me do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, we'll keep those secrets. It's fine. <laughs> well thank you again for taking your time and sharing your experience with us Um, until the next time it's been awesome thank you thanks for listening to the Brown Time Project and as always a huge thank you to our series sponsors Steph Savvy and Retail Integration in our next episode we're talking to the Director of Visitor Engagement of St Paul's Cathedral Sandra Lyons Timbrell it's a really interesting conversation you should definitely hang on for that one the Brown Sign Project was edited by Paul Tyler. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Brown Sign Pod and find us on LinkedIn.